The following audio has been brought to you by Word of Grace Community Church. For more information about Word of Grace, visit wogcc.com. Well, the past two weeks, we've been going through this series called Fixing Us, and we've talked about change through submission to Christ, and we've talked about reminding ourselves of the gospel and how that leads us to brokenness and how it leads us to real heart change. And I want us to shift gears just a little bit this morning from kind of that definition of fixing us, and I want to talk about healing past wounds this morning. So, you know, damage is caused sometimes and we're aware that we've caused damage in a relationship and we said yeah i know i've done this i know i'm responsible for this certain thing that's in my relationship that's in my marriage or what have you but then there are other things that happen in the marriage relationship that are still causing damage but we may not be as aware of those things or we may not think it's a big deal It's kind of one of those tolerance attitudes of, well, this is just who I am, and you just have to kind of deal with it. This is who I am, and you know, you married me type thing, and we don't realize the damage that maybe that our attitudes or our actions, or maybe even our inactions, are causing, and we don't see how those things are actually causing a divide, and that they're causing a gap to kind of widen in our marriage relationship, and we may not see those things. This is true of any relationship. So if you're not married, I don't want you to check out on me because this is important and it's true whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you're divorced, whether you're widowed, it doesn't matter. These are true in relationships and God wants us to learn how to navigate those relationships and have healthy relationships. But especially in marriage, this is true because the opportunity to do damage is the greatest because that's where the deepest level of trust should should exist anyways. And oftentimes when we open our hearts up to other people and we're vulnerable with them and we feel that we can trust them, man, when you violate those things or when you uh, do things that uh, may you know, widen that gap in between the two of you, it does even more damage than uh, an outside relationship from your spouse. You know, I think that a lot of people look at their commitment to God or sometimes their commitment to their spouse or maybe even their commitment to children as kind of the reason that they will kind of regularly subject themselves to hurt and disappointment because we just decide, I'm going to have to just deal with the pain. I'm going to just have to adjust my life and just realize this is how my life is going to be. So we deal with pain, we deal with disappointments, we kind of learn to cope instead of heal. And today I really want us to talk about not just how to cope, not just how to tolerate, but how to heal from past wounds. We have all, every one of us, we're all guilty of this, we have all caused and received unjust pain and disappointment in our lives, have we not? Every one of us, we've all been a source of unjust pain being given and unjust disappointment, and we've all received those things as well. This means that we need to recognize the position that we're in. We need to recognize we can all help others heal and that we ourselves need healing. We all have wounded other people, and we have all been wounded at some level. And we get into trouble when we begin to think that our pain is somehow more significant than another person's. We get 
into trouble when we start thinking that somehow all of the trials, all the challenges in life that we've been through are somehow worse than everyone else's. That's a big trap that the enemy uses to try to get us to isolate. It's a trap that the enemy tries to use to get us to feel sorry for ourselves, to turn inward and think it's just us who has been going through these challenges. It's just someone like me. Why does this always happen to me? It seems like everyone else is doing so great. It looks like everyone else is all smiles and holding hands and happy and singing songs. Why me? And if we have this why me attitude, we get so focused on ourselves and our own pain that we never really take the steps to find healing because we think we're in some extremely unique situation to where we'll say, oh, you don't understand. You don't know my story. Man, let me tell you something. I've been in full-time ministry now. This is 18 years I've been doing this, and I've been preaching for 21 years, and I've had my fair share in that time of sitting down with couples and talking to them about their marriage relationships. And I have heard over and over and over again when people are at a crisis point, you just don't understand or you don't know what we're going through. Everybody believes that at some level. And the enemy loves to use that as a trap because if he can get you to feel like you're the only one going through what you're going through, then he can get you to believe the other lie, the more significant lie, is that there's no hope for you. If he can get you to believe there's no hope for you, then you're going to be a lot more likely to give up instead of persevere. You're going to be a lot more likely to throw your hands up in the air and say, this is a unique, difficult situation that no one can understand and no one can relate to and no one can fix. We've been to everybody. We've talked to all the counselors. We've read all the books. We've been to all the conferences. We've done all the things we thought we were supposed to do. And we throw our hands up in the air and we say, you know what? This is just beyond repair because this is so unique and it's so difficult and no one understands it. The enemy loves to get us to believe those kinds of lies, because he knows that if he can get us to believe those lies, that we will give up. We get into trouble when we think that our pain is more significant than another person because we start listening to the song that the Pied Piper is playing on his flute to draw us into this self-loathing type thinking and this self-loathing type attitude. It's like when a bunch of guys get together and start comparing their battle scars you know, well, this one happened to me in this war, and this one happened to me and you know, or whatever. They fell off a ladder one time. Let me show you that. In our house, my 12-year-old son wins that battle every single time because he had a bicycle accident back in 2014, and he has a big scar right here, so we don't even, we don't even compare. Josiah, he just wins hands down. But hurting people hurt people. Hurting people hurt people. That's what they do, and it's, it's, it's not that they're necessarily even angry towards that person as much as they themselves are hurting and will oftentimes lash out. So how do we deal with past wounds? How do we grow and, and, and walking free from the past to where we don't feel like we're dragging around a coffin of who we used to be before we found Christ, but yet I thought I was supposed to be free from this past. I thought the, the, the past was supposed to be dead, but I'm dragging it around, and it just feels like this big heavy weight. How do we walk free from that stuff? How do we find true freedom in Christ and real healing? What I'd like to do today is I would like to share three commitments that I want us to make to our spouse. And if you're not married, three commitments you'll either make to God or to someone that can hold you accountable so that we can grow in finding healing from past wounds because God will bring healing to hearts and God will bring healing to marriages. 
It's his heart. It's what he wants. In Psalm 147, in verse 3, Scripture says, He heals the brokenhearted, and he binds up their wounds. He heals the brokenhearted, and he binds up their wounds. The first commitment that we're going to make to God and to our spouse is that we're going to commit to repentance and prayer with our spouse. We're going to commit to repentance and prayer with our spouse. When we realize that we have wounded our spouse, we've got to confess our sins to them. We've got to acknowledge it. We've got to give voice to it. It can't be like this thing, guys, listen, where we say, oh, she knows I love her. We always get through this. We, she always just gets over it. He always gets over it. He has to stomp his feet and pout for a little while, but it'll, it'll be fine. Listen to me. If you don't give voice and acknowledge the sin that you have committed and the offense that you have committed to another person, if you don't give voice to it and you assume that they are handling it, you are opening the door for the enemy. Now, it may not be this big, huge thing the very first time that you ignore and you're passive with it, but I promise you, if you get in the habit of just ignoring instead of giving voice to offense, you, give, you, you, you stay quiet. The longer you stay quiet, the longer you bury those things, the longer you sweep those things under the rug. You can only sweep so much dust under the rug, folks. There's only so much of it. You just can't keep on sweeping. You can't make that a regular practice, can you? Somebody will be, what's wrong with your rug? <laughs> and they'll go to lift it up, and you say, no, 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 don't lift that up. And then you pretend like it's okay. It's not okay. You can only do so much of that stuff. And it's a trap. It's a trick that the enemy tries to use to get us to just blow this stuff off or blow one another off like it's just not a big deal. Like we aren't guilty of offending our spouse or wounding their heart at some level. If we recognize that we have caused this, if we're seeing this, we need to give voice to it. I want us to give voice to it, and I believe God gives us very clear instruction in Scripture to do that as well. We need to acknowledge our attitude. We need to acknowledge our heart position. We need to acknowledge our words, our actions, our distance, our inaction. We need to acknowledge those things have been wrong, and we need to give voice to that. When, and then we have to pray for one another, and I want to challenge you on this. And I'm going to make some people nervous. But I, it's kind of what I do. It's my thing. I want you to pray for your spouse out loud. Bum, bum, bum. Shakes all throughout the room. That's right. I want you to pray for your spouse out loud because I believe that's going to bring such rich healing. As a matter of fact, Scripture says it like this. James 5 and 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and then do what? Pray for one another. So what could happen? So you can be healed. You need to do that. That, that brings healing. Scripture shows us that brings healing. And we need to pray blessings over our spouse, speak blessings over our spouse, and bless them with our words, with affirmation, with encouragement, with our desire to see them become everything that God wants them to be. I don't know if you knew, knew this or not, but every single week, we come out with a community group study guide. And I write these 
when I'm finished preparing my sermon, which is normally on Tuesday, I write these for our church family, and they are used in our community groups that meet all throughout the week that are sermon-based community groups. And it's just a guide that's based off of the sermon that takes the message that I preach on the weekend just a little bit further, a little bit deeper, and helps you to really solidify the things that were taught that weekend, and you can go through it throughout the week. Now, we use these in community groups, but you can take these whether you're in a sermon-based community group or not. You can take these. They'll be out there every single week. The brand new one for that sermon will be out there every single week, and it's at Community Group Central, which is right on the big red wall right over by the cafe area. If you've ever seen that thing and wondered what it is, you can go and check out what different community groups are going on in the church on what days of the week. And then at the bottom, there's kind of like this little trough thing. And in the trough, you can pick up information about community groups, and you can grab one of these guides. Now, we made a lot of these because I want you guys to get these this week because what I've done is just a little different from the way I've been preparing the community group study guides. I've actually prepared a lot of marriage resources that are going to coincide with this message to help you grow and find healing from the wounds of your past so you can grow in finding that healing. Because listen, it's not just one instant oftentimes. It's not just one thing. It's a process that God leads us through of helping to heal those wounds, to, to bind up those wounds and help us to be healed and restored uh, in our relationships. And so one of the things that I put in here for you is I put a prayer. And if you're the type of person that maybe you feel uncomfortable praying out loud because you're worried about messing it up, you're worried about what you're going to say, you're worried about what someone's going to think about you, I understand. And because I understand that a lot of people are there, I want you to know that you're not alone. And I have put in this a simple prayer that you can pray over your spouse, and you can pray this and just let it be a starting point. You don't have to stick to it word for word. Maybe you do stick to it word for word. I don't know. Jesus did something similar when he said, hey, I'm going to teach you guys how to pray. When you pray, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, right? So this is not something that's weird. It's something that Jesus taught his disciples to do. And he didn't want them to just stay and just only pray that prayer when they prayed. No, he wanted them to grow in their relationship with God so they could begin to talk to him and they could begin to interact with him, even though those basic principles are still there throughout the prayer. So use this as a starting point, like a foundation, as a guide to begin to pray a prayer of blessing over your spouse. My, my wife's name is Holly, for those of you who don't know, and I'll show you how this prayer would go for us on this community group study guide. God, I thank you for Holly. She is a gift from you to me. Help me see her as that gift and treat her with love and respect. I pray you bless Holly's efforts at work and at home, and I ask you to help us grow closer together, help us to grow closer to you and to each other, strengthen our friendship, our commitment to one another, and help me see opportunities to encourage her. I love Holly and ask you to show me new ways to communicate my love to her so that she can feel loved, valued, and secure in our marriage. Thank you, God, for bringing Holly into my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Just simple blessings, prayer of blessing and thanks to God. And as it blesses your spouse, it also helps to tune your heart in the direction of your spouse as well. God can do some powerful things through that. If you'll just make a simple commitment to both repent when you realize you've blown it, when you realize you've messed up, to say, hey, I messed up, 
I, I, I realized my attitude was wrong. I had a stinking attitude or I had a really, you know, I shouldn't have said that or I shouldn't have said it that way. Will you please forgive me? And you acknowledge those attitudes when they come up and then you commit to pray for them as well. Ask God to help you to be aware of those times where perhaps you're beginning to drift over into those poor attitudes or when you're beginning to drift over into the lane of damaging your spouse's heart. And if you guys communicate and you begin to recognize and respect your spouse, you will begin to see the things that are uh, causing damage and are causing distance or those little things that the enemy may use as an opportunity to try to cause offense and to cause bitterness to set up in his or her heart. That if you acknowledge those things, you're not giving place to the devil and you're protecting that gift of marriage that God has given you. And you're, you're, you're protecting that commitment that you've made to God and to this other person. And you're helping to protect their heart and to help them grow in that security and love in your relationship. There's some things that I was doing in my marriage with my wife that I didn't realize were hurting her heart because I just wasn't aware that it was a big deal. I had gotten into a habit. But then she gave voice to it one day and I thought it was stupid. Because I thought, this is a really dumb thing to get upset about. Just being real with you. Just being real with you. I thought it was dumb. I thought it was dumb to be offended over this, which made her heart be hurt even more when I communicated how dumb that was in my mind. So I'm like going down a real slippery slope here. And it's not really working out for me. But when I actually humbled myself to listen to her heart instead of me trying to force her to think my way or for her to not be offended because if you said that to me, I wouldn't be offended. Instead of taking that point of arrogance and looking at it with humility, I began to recognize, hey, when I do these things, I need to stop. And, and, and I'll tell you guys what some of them are, and if you see me do, you can call me out on it in love. But one of the things that I do is like, I'll say just whatever, you know, whatever's a big one. And, I'll do, and I normally do my hands just like that whatever. That's not an act. That's exactly what I do. Whatever. And the worst one, and you guys are going to laugh at this, this is the worst one that I do that I'm really trying hard, and she tells me not to because I do it with kids too, is I say the word sure a lot, which is like an indecisive word, right? And oh, my wife, she's like, that really upsets me when you do it because it makes me feel like you don't really care about what I'm talking about. She'll say, hey, I looked up this thing on the internet. It's really great, and I'm thinking we could go do this. What do you think about it? Sure whatever. Sometimes you combo. <laughs> when you combo, you're really treading in dangerous territory. But I was sure, whatever, or I don't care. Eh, I don't care. Whatever. Sure. And I would say it with an attitude of, will you please stop talking to me so I can get back to whatever I'm doing? I would be like, sure, whatever. I don't care. You know, I don't care. Whatever. And I would say those words, and my wife called out to me that, hey, you're doing this to the kids, too. And then the kids were doing it when she was talking to them, and she says, the kids are doing it just like you. And I'm going, no, I'm making mini-me's. <laughs> Not good. Not good. And we can laugh about that here, but listen, I'm dead serious. I'm, tr I'm working on this. I'm working on this. I take this very seriously because I love my wife and I love my family. And what I don't want to be guilty of, as, as, as silly as we all may think those things are, they're not silly to me, because I'll tell you that if they're wounding hearts and making people feel less valued because of my inattention, 
it's not their problem. It becomes my problem and my responsibility to fix. Not their problem to get over. Hello, somebody. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good this morning. Listen, I am so serious about this, and I want to grow and protect and heal and strengthen my marriage. And my wife has shared with me since I went through this Ken Nair book called Discovering the Mind of a Woman that I've referenced several times, she'll tell me sometimes, she'll say, you need to go read your book again. <laughs> she said that to me last week. You just need to go read that book. But when I, when I first read it, one of the things that exposed to me was my responsibility as a husband, protecting my wife's heart. And I would be real vulnerable with her and share with her kind of what I was thinking and, and what God was dealing with my heart about as I was going through this book. And one of the things that she shared with me was she said, yeah, I recognize that, you know, you've done these little things that have caused, you know, uh, some damage in my heart. And she said, and you know, and she wasn't saying this in a threatening way or a mean way, she said, but you know that it's going to take time to heal those things. And I said, yes, I realize that. It's not just a, here's a dozen roses, I'm sorry, let's make everything better, poof the world is reset. It's not that she's holding them over my head because she's very forgiving and she's very understanding, but I'm talking about to bring healing in those areas where maybe I have been inattentive, to bring healing in those areas maybe where I have caused frustration, to where she thought, well, this is just who he is. I'm just going to have to live with it. I don't want her to just have to live with those things. I don't want her to just have to tolerate me. I want her to enjoy being married to me, and I want to enjoy being married to her. Don't you think that's a more God-honoring position? This will be 17 years for us this year. I want to make the next 17 years even better because I'm learning how to help my spouse's heart heal. I'm learning how to confess my sin to her, to pray for her that she may be healed that I can actually go to her and say I'm sorry for this and that I can recognize when I begin to do things that wound her heart because we're communicating, because we're helping one another. Listen, I promise you the little things, the small things, the enemy will use to put wedges between you and your spouse if done repeatedly over a long period of time. But the same is true of the good things as well. The same is true if you will continually over a long period of time, do good things to your spouse, to bless them, to love them, to care for them, to acknowledge them, to respect them, to affirm them. I promise you, it will pay dividends. You may not see those dividends overnight. Hello, guys. It may take time because you don't realize the damage that we've done. We don't realize perhaps the little things that maybe have put distance between us and our spouse, that God is saying, this is not very, this is not very uh, God-honoring the way you're treating her or treating him. Instead, why don't you begin to acknowledge the fact that maybe they are different, that I put them in your life for a reason, you're to care for them, cherish them, love them, not just always cop an attitude when you don't get your way. I'm preaching to myself this morning, too. I actually sent these notes to my wife because she works in our kids' ministry. She doesn't always get to come in here. And I said, you're going to want to read these. <laughs> the second thing that we're going to commit to do is we're going to, and, and these all flow together. second thing we're going to commit to do after we commit to repent and pray is we're going to commit to be honest and transparent. 
We're going to commit to honesty and transparency. And, and let me be really clear with you. And I want you to get this because this is going to set some people free this morning. Don't, don't take this the wrong way with a bad attitude either and use it as a pastor said stuff either. Don't play that game with your spouse. That should never come up in your marriage. Pastor said. You need to say, what did God say? And you guys see what God said. All right? But let me tell you something. You need to commit to honesty and transparency. And in marriage, no topic is off limits. Let me say that slow so I can say it some more so somebody can hear this this morning. It's going to set you free. In marriage, no topic is off limits. When you said, I do, you said, I will expose every ounce of who I am to another person because two people are now one. There are no secrets. There are, there are no things that are off limits or that should not be talked about between a couple in a marriage covenant. You share your hurts, your joys, your frustrations, your desires, your dreams. Everything is up for discussion. And listen closely to me. When your spouse shares their heart about anything, sometimes they are rolling the dice because they've seen how you've reacted in the past. When they share their heart about anything and they're trying to be vulnerable and transparent with you, never, ever, ever shame them. I'm not saying when they share their heart you have to agree with the way that they may be presenting whatever they're sharing with you. But never, ever shame them. Never shame a person who is being vulnerable. You will damage their heart in such a profound way. Do not shame them even if you disagree with them. Do not shame them when you talk about money, sex, kids, career, addictions, hang-ups, your sin. You should regularly invest in open and transparent conversation. This commitment alone would solve a lot of marriage problems. If two people would just commit to be honest with each other and be transparent without shaming. I remember when I was a youth pastor in Oklahoma, and I was young 20-something, um, and I was so excited when I had studied Scripture one day, and I came across something in the Bible that I had never seen before. And I was so excited, and I ran to my pastor, and I said, Pastor, you're never going to believe this. Look at this in Scripture. I want to show you what I saw when I was reading the Word and preparing for my youth message that night. I, I opened up my Bible, and, and I said, I saw this, and then look, it connects to this over here. And I was sharing what I had just discovered, and I was so excited I had discovered it. And he looked at me, and he said, you've never seen that before? <laughs> I said, no. I, I, and I, I, I can't believe you hadn't seen that. Oh, my gosh. And his wife was standing close by. I said, honey, come here. And she comes over and stands beside him and said, Derek hadn't seen this before in Scripture. He just pointed this out to me. And she went, he hadn't seen that before? I'm like, what, are we forming a club now? <laughs> she, and then he proceeds to tell me, and I'll never forget the statement that he made. He said, that's in textbooks that are, you know, hundreds of years old from, you know, early church fathers that they saw this. And this is something that's taught in seminaries all across the U.S. I can't believe you hadn't heard that before. And I was like, no. And then he puts his arm around me and says, you want to go to lunch? No. <laughs> I got something to do at home. got to be the cat or something. I'll, I got to go. I, that deeply wounded me. 
It, and you know, the next time I saw something in Scripture before that I had not seen, you think I ran to him? No. No, I didn't run to him. Why? Because that wound was still there. And I thank God I later talked to him about it. But for that season, that really deeply offended me and it, and it disappointed me. Because here I was sharing something, being vulnerable to the extent of letting him know I didn't know something instead of me trying to present myself as someone who knew it all. I said, I don't know this, and I just saw this, and I'm excited about it. And then I was shamed as, eh, let me tell you something, the same thing happens in your marriage when your spouse will either share some sort of discovery or share some sort of secret, perhaps, that they've been keeping that God's been dealing with their heart about. And they wanted to say, hey, I just wanted you to know that, you know, you, last time I shared with you that, you know, something about finances, we went through this big blow up, hey, I spent this money on this thing, and they're trying to get the courage to, to share it to you, but they're also afraid of your reaction. And if they're afraid of your reaction, they're going to do what? They're going to grab their broom, try to sweep it under the rug and just hope you don't find out, man, that's not helping anybody. That's not helping anybody. The same thing happens, too, when it comes to sexual desire. A lot of times, spouses are afraid to talk about sexual desire openly with their spouse because it either leads to conflict or it leads to shaming, it leads to someone pointing a finger and saying, you pervert? <laughs> what do you mean that? Why, why, why would you do that to somebody? That's not going to help. That's not going to help. It's not going to help when someone opens their heart to you and they share their heart with you and, they, and, and then they get shamed. You know, in the areas of finances and sex for too long have been taboo in a lot of people's lives and they suppress those either desires or they suppress those things that perhaps that they may be thinking or things that maybe, and I'm not saying you have to agree with everything, but I am saying that there is safety in a marriage relationship to talk about anything. Because when you suppress those things for too long, they, it begins to open the door to temptation and justification, going, well, I deserve, or how dare they, how dare they tell me I can't spend this, or I shouldn't spend this, how dare they tell me they are unwilling to do this or this. When you began to suppress those things and not give voice to them because you were shamed, it only puts more distance and opens the door for temptation. You can talk about anything, and you should be able to talk about anything in your marriage relationship, and never shame honesty and transparency. Always seek to listen and understand. Always seek to listen and understand. Not to point fingers and shame, and always make sure that you are hearing their heart and listening to their heart. Colossians 3 and 9 says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Do not lie to one another. Scripture says it just plain as day, right there. Don't lie to each other. This is the way you were before Christ. You've put that away. That's not who you are anymore. You've been crucified with Christ. You are a new creation. Old things have gone. All things are becoming new. Stop acting like your old self and begin to let your identity be wrapped up in Christ. And your identity wrapped up in Christ is honest, is transparent, is one that will repent when it does wrong and that wants to pray and affirm their spouse 
their helpmate, the one that is with them, that God has given them as a blessing in their life. God wants us to grow in that area. Another thing that uh, we need to deal with in honesty and transparency is how we deal with conflict. Over in Matthew 18 is the best thing that I believe has ever been shared on any platform of how to resolve conflict because it's so simple and it's so true. And you can try to add all sorts of things to it or try to take things away from it, but I promise you, if you would just do Matthew 18 when offense or conflict arises, that is the way God wants us to handle it, and we're going to have God's results if we do so. Matthew 18, in verse 15, Jesus said this, If your brother sins against you, go to him, tell him his fault between you and him alone. Just stop right there. Hey, that last portion of that scripture, between you and him alone. Oh, wow. What a great idea. If someone offends you, instead of going and telling all your coworkers or your friends or your other family members, everybody, and, and, and you know, ringing the bell about it and, and, and sounding the alarm and getting everyone else all worked up, and then finally you go, well, maybe I should talk to him about it. Maybe you should have started there. Amen, somebody? Maybe you should have started there instead of having to come to that conclusion after you've already talked to everyone else. The Bible didn't say, go talk to everybody else and gather a consensus to see if you're justified in your thinking. And then form an army and really bring this intimidation factor of this army with you of all these people who are offended just like you're offended, and maybe that'll get them to do what we want them to do. Oh, yeah. Sounds like a solid plan. Let's do it. People do it all the time. Jesus said, go to them alone. That's between you and that person. Not you and your coworker, not you and your family member, not you and your best friend, you and the person who caused the offense alone. That's step one. Oh man, wow. Why don't we work on practicing that instead of allowing us to have loose lips and allowing ourselves to spread our offense? If you go to him and him alone. If he listens to you, Scripture says, you've gained a brother. And then verse 2, but if he doesn't listen then why don't you take one or two other people along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So, at that point, if he's not listening, if the person who's caused the offense isn't listening, then let's bring another credible witness to try to open their eyes to help them see because the goal is reconciliation and the goal is, is repentance and the goal is change and the goal is healing. And so because of that, and that's our motive, and we're doing it in love, not out of pointing our fingers, shifting blame, or shaming, we want to make sure that if there is something, we want to help another person who can perhaps give another side to the story. Verse 17, but if he refuses to listen to them, then tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, then let him be to you as a Gentile is to the tax collector. Now, in that instance, I would believe that that would best translate for us in our modern day and time, for us to say, if the person is still not listening, then we need to seek outside help. We need to go and talk to the church, and we need to talk to church leadership or what have you. And then if he still is not listening, then all we can do is really just continue to pray for the person, to treat them as we would just someone who is disconnected from the fellowship, which would be to love them, to pray for them, 
to care for them, to be present, but at the same time, we know we're not getting through. And so let's not just keep on beating on that door over and over again, trying to get them to change and trying to get them to act like we want them to act. Instead, we recognize they're not going to do things according to God's way, so we need to commit to pray for them because that's how we would treat that person outside of the family of God. We would pray for them. We would love them. We would be consistent. Then our attitude and our heart has to be in check and make sure that we're not being arrogant in that position to say, oh, well, I've already done everything I needed to do and my husband's still not changing. I've done everything I need to do. My spouse still is not changing. No, no, no. We need to continue to temper our heart towards them and we need to continue to love them right where they are at and always keep the door open. Verse 18, truly I say that whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on anything on earth, whatever you ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And after all of this, Peter, Jesus' disciple, he says, Lord, how often will I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Like maybe, I don't know, seven times? It's pretty good, right? And Jesus said, Peter, I don't say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. There's no end to this thing. In other words, Jesus is saying we always keep the door open for reconciliation. We always keep the door open for reconciliation. We don't shut the door on people and hold offense over their head as if they owe us something because of how they offended us. Hello, somebody. Let me tell you something. We need to be honest and transparent with our spouses and make sure that we are loving and we are forgiving and that we are always looking for the goal to be reconciliation and healing in the relationship, not for you to win the trophy of being right. Because if your goal in any conflict is to be awarded the trophy of being right, Your heart and your attitude will always be wrong because your motivation is all about you and not about reconciliation and love and what's best for everyone. It becomes what's best for you and what you want, not what's best for everyone involved. And that selfish, sneaky pride, man, it sneaks in and we don't even recognize it sometimes. But if we approach our relationships, especially our marriage, with humility, God can work in those things and through those things if we make a commitment to honesty and transparency. The third and last thing that we're going to commit to do is we are going to commit to growing in our relationship with God together. Together. Man, you should be growing in your relationship with God when you're on your own, when you have your personal time with the Lord and growing in your personal relationship, but have you thought about growing in your relationship with God with your spouse, like you guys doing this together? There is no reason in our day and age why we cannot be in Scripture together as a couple. There's no reason in our day and age why we can't be sharing and, and, and talking about what God is doing in our lives together. We have more communication tools and resources available to us than any other period in the history of man. And it seems like we're so stinking disconnected. Seems like we're so just silo-driven, and we're just my world, his world, her world, and it just seems like we're so split up and disconnected, and we're just a bunch of people coexisting under the same roof. And that's not God's best. Amen, somebody? That's not what God wants for us. So what I've done 
is I've put together a lot of resources on this community group study guide. And on this resource list, I have all sorts of different suggested things. I went through and actually poured through some of the ones my wife and I had been through. Uh, that we've gone through different devotionals or different books or different studies together. And then also some things that I haven't been through, but I checked them out and looked into them and asked other people about them. And I got a lot of really good feedback on some different things that I think will help you. And all of the things that I've put on uh, the resource area are all free things. The only thing that's not free would be a couple of books that I recommended that you may want to pick up and buy. And they're like 10, 12 bucks each. Um, so this isn't expensive. This isn't something where you go, oh, I would love to invest in my marriage, but I don't have the money. What does that even mean? What it is is we need to use the resources that are already out there. There's tons of great free resources. I put them on this community group study guide, but here's the thing. It has to be a priority. It has to be a non-negotiable for you to invest in your relationship with God together, both in your time with scripture, in your time growing and knowing who God is, in your time of prayer, in the things you pray about, man, you've got to make it a non-negotiable. It's got to be a priority. We, we don't have a hard time making certain things in life a priority. I mean, here in a couple hours, there's going to be a priority come up that we all have. We're all going to eat something most likely, unless you're on some kind of crazy New Year's kick still. I guarantee you the majority of the people that are in this room are going to eat something here in just a couple hours, maybe even before that. Maybe you're going, I want to dig around in my pocket right now and see if there's anything left. Because <laughs> you're kind of making me hungry now. Those mints there at the front of the church are kind of looking tempting. I get it. We're all going to eat. It's non-negotiable. But why? Why is that non-negotiable for us? Why do we make time for it? Well, because we have to have it, right? We make time for the things in our lives that are priority that really we have to have. Shouldn't we have to have time to invest in our relationship with God? Shouldn't we have to have our walk with the Lord in order to lead us and guide us into all truth? If it is indeed something we acknowledge we have to have, then we have to make it a non-negotiable, make our walk with Him a priority together and individually. Get in the Word together. Make time to talk about it. Make, make it time that's uninterrupted in your day. Maybe after kids are gone to bed or maybe earlier in the morning, turn the TV off. Put the phone away. Take time to invest with your spouse to connect with each other and connect with God together. Make it a non-negotiable. Put accountability in place for it, whether that be your spouse holding you accountable or whether that be some outside trusted friend holding you accountable, and make sure that you do it. Make church together a non-negotiable. Make praying for one another a non-negotiable. I'll tell you what, I have made my kids the accountability figure for a certain thing that we started to do at the tail end of last year as a family together. I got this idea after Pastor Kirby came and spoke and was giving these different uh, thoughts on how to invest in your marriage and invest in your family. And he talked about all these different times throughout the week that you would designate for different people. And it was just a, a way that he's done that he saw great success with. And as he was speaking, I got an idea based on kind of that foundation 
that I built on and made my own little custom time for our family. In our house, we're all on the same floor with our bedrooms upstairs, and there's this kind of little area where all the bedrooms connect. It's, it's not really a hallway, but it's not a landing either. It's just a little space, and then there's doors that go to all the different bedrooms. And uh, we sit down, and we call it floor time. And every night before we go to bed, everybody's already brushed their teeth. Before we put kids in bed, we sit on the floor, and I really like it because we have our board game closet right next to uh, this little sitting area um, where we sit on the floor. And uh, I'll grab Connect Four or something out and while I'm waiting for my daughter to finish brushing her teeth or while I'm waiting for someone to get their pajamas on or whatever. I'll sit there and play a quick game of Connect Four with somebody while we're waiting on everybody to kind of get seated at floor time. And everyone sits down, we talk about the day, what happened on the day. Sometimes we'll just do affirmations and say something nice about Josiah tonight or say something really nice about mom tonight or encourage her. And then we'll just have a little time to talk about the day, encourage each other. Then I'll ask, does anyone have anything we want to pray about? And then I'll tell them what's happening tomorrow because I want my kids to know what's going on the next day. If they have any questions, we're going to so-and-so's house or so-and-so's coming over or we have to run these errands and here's what's going to happen tomorrow. And we'll just kind of catch them up so they can set their expectations for the next day. And then we'll all pray together and then we all go to bed. And let me tell you, the few times that it slipped my mind, oh, my kids were all over me. They, were, they said, Dad, are we going to do floor time or what? It's like 9.30. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. I got wrapped up in what I was doing. And I had to, I had to go do that, right? Because there was accountability in place. Same thing with the stuff you're wanting to invest in your marriage in. You have to have accountability in place because sometimes you get busy, sometimes you get distracted. And if you do that too much, you'll begin to kind of slip away from those healthy practices that God wants you to do. They're going to be healthy investments in your marriage. Here's the point. You just have to find out what works for you, okay? You've got to find out what works for your schedule, for your life, because we're all different. What works for me isn't going to work for you. I get it. I'm not trying to tell you what to do. I'm telling you to do something. I'm telling you to do something, put it in place in your marriage, make it a non-negotiable. Bring God into the center focus of your life, and I promise you, He'll affect everything that you do. Before you make that purchase, pray about it together. I don't know, maybe there's a situation going on with your child. Talk about it with your spouse. Pray about it with your spouse. Don't just complain about it and say what, they're, what they should be doing. Pray about it together. Let your spouse hear your heart. In your prayers, affirm and encourage each other. Speak blessings over one another. Find healing in your marriage. I want us to just do this stuff because I believe that it's going to help us to heal past wounds and to strengthen and fortify our marriages to help us to move forward. There is one more thing that I want to do before we dismiss this morning. And on this community group study guide, I have on here, kind of about halfway through, I wrote something and this is the title of it. It's called Potential Community Groups That You Could Host to Start to Invest in Marriages in Our Church. I looked through all the different resources that we have available as a church, and we've got a lot of resources, okay? So it's not limited to this, but as I looked through the resources, I found four different key resources that I would love for people who feel led to host or start a community group. I would love for these things to be available in our church. And so maybe you're in a place where you say, I feel like God's done some great things in our marriage, and I believe that we could be a great facilitator for one of those groups. You don't have to be the most knowledgeable person. We'll train you. We'll teach you. 
You don't have to be the most well-equipped person. We'll equip you, all right? We'll put you through all of the right processes that we've developed to help give you the confidence that you need to be able to do this. But I want to see these four community groups at least start in our church. And if there's more than that, or if there's multiple people that want to do um, the same ones, I don't care if there's 10 of the same one. It doesn't matter to me. That'll just be what the Lord wants, because I believe that the Lord's going to speak to people's heart this weekend to help them to say, hey, I need to say yes to this. this is, I, we need to do this. Even if you're in a place where maybe this would be a good investment for you and your spouse to do with other people, I believe that this is a great investment. I'm not just doing this to do it. I believe this is a great investment for our church family to have opportunities for other people to connect in investing in their marriages as well as you investing in your own. Those four potential community groups, and maybe you could start one of these or this, um, Dr. Emerson Egrich, the guy that he and his wife wrote, The Love and Respect, a lot of you may be familiar with that material, he has a new one out. It's called The Crazy Cycle in Marriage, and he has a study on it. It's like a six- or seven-week deal. I would love for somebody to start that group. I would also love for someone to start the group Love and Respect. I've been through Love and Respect myself. We did that back in 2012, um, and man, it was just great. A lot of you I know were probably here at that, and it was wonderful, and that was the last time we did it was 2012, so it's been a minute, but I believe that it could really help some folks if we had that so they could just understand the way men and women view the world and view the marriage and relationship. Man, that's going to help people if somebody could start that group. Another group I'd love to see started would be by Francis Chan. It's called You and Me Forever. It's a newer study that he's put out, and I looked it over, and I'd be really excited to see somebody start that group. And then Chip Ingram has a study called Five Lies That Ruin Relationships. I would love to see that group started in this church. And maybe there's more that aren't on this list, and that's fine. Maybe you're like, I'm not necessarily excited about those. Uh, contact Pastor Keith, and he's our community groups director. He would love to help you to get in the right uh, direction to make this opportunity available. Because here's what happens. When you say yes to this, when you say, yes, I want to invest in marriage and I want to make this opportunity available, you're giving families in our church an opportunity to heal and to go deeper and to get stronger in their marriage and in their faith together. And you're going to experience the same thing as you go through it as well. I'm just looking for somebody who's willing to say yes to that. So I have the contact information on here on how to get the process started and, and the next step to be able to do that. So if God's speaking to you today to do that, again, go out to the community group central that's out on the big red wall right across from the cafe pick this up for a resource and then also to pray about is god calling you to perhaps be one of those hosts or to be one of those folks that could lead that community group maybe you say i'm not comfortable leading a community group at this stage in the game but maybe you'd be willing to open your home up so we could put a leader in your house because maybe that leader has a small apartment, but they would love to have a nice space. Or if you don't want to have it in your home, you can contact the church to see if the church building is available. We do that kind of stuff all the time. Whatever you do, my desire would be, would the, would be that you would take this study guide and that you would do something. And that you would do something. For those that are going to be watching online, I'll make sure that the link is available online as well so you guys can download it too. Listen, folks, I want us to do something. I want us to take a next step. I've given you a lot of information today, but the three commitments that we need to make is we want to be people who are repenting and praying for one another. We're, we're, repent, we're, we're repenting to God first and foremost and then repenting to our spouse to help their hearts heal. 
and we're praying for one another, and that we're people who are open and honest and transparent, and we make that commitment not to shame our spouse when they put themselves in a position of vulnerability. And then lastly, we commit to invest in our relationship with God together as well as individually. I believe that if we make these three commitments and we do these things, I believe we're going to see marriages healed. We're going to see past hurts healed. We're going to see marriages where the two people who have been so distant start being friends again. Even those of you who may have experienced the sting of divorce or loss, I believe that God could even use these things to help your heart heal as well and to get you to be able to trust others again as you trust God. Man, I believe that God could use this in such a powerful way. So there's some next steps, I believe, for everybody in this room. If you're single, it's going to put you in a position of where you need to know what you need to be looking for. It's going to give you a lot stronger start. It applies to everybody, no matter where you're at. I believe that God is going to use this in a powerful way. I believe God also is going to speak to some people's hearts to give more opportunity for more people to get connected in community as well. Why don't we stand together and why don't we pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this opportunity that we've had to go through this teaching. I pray that it sticks with all of us, myself included. I pray it sticks today and that your Holy Spirit reminds us of your truth. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would stir in us, God, in those times where perhaps we are venturing off into the flesh or in our former ways before we knew Christ. And that there is that check in our spirit letting us know, hey, don't say that. Let that argument go. Work on healing instead. Or things we need to apologize for, repent to you for, repent to our spouse for. I pray you help us to have the courage to do that, to trust, Lord, that this truly is what's best. I pray you help people to be honest and transparent. And I pray you help people to have the discipline to be able to make the most important thing, which is our relationship with you, God, non-negotiable. I pray, Father, that you would also move on people's hearts that you're calling to start these groups that are going to make them available to our church family. So it's not just a one series thing or one sermon thing, but it's something where they can continually have truth from your word spoken into their lives so they can grow in their marriage relationships and be stronger. Lord, we know you're for the family, and we ask God that you would continually strengthen families all in this place and pray, God, that your grace would be ever felt and ever present that we would be aware of your love and kindness that you've shed abroad in our hearts. Help us to show that to others, even when they may not do what we want them to do, even when they may hurt us or wound us or offend us. I pray you help people to find grace and patience, God, and forgiveness in their hearts, just like you've shown to us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Word of Grace. For more sermons or any other information, visit wogcc.com.